And tonight we are on the last lesson of a, of a knowledge project that concerns itself with relationships. And the relationships have to do with the various aspects of our lives. And some of these relationships that we have, we've discovered need more attention than others. And as I, as I kind of go through the, the series here, thinking through it, I'm, um, each part of it not only has relevancy, but it, but it, there's a demand, uh, on me. And not as a pastor, but as just an individual, just as a saint of God, there's a demand on me. And my relationships inside my home is where it begins. It's always the home. And, you know, we have disappointments in our life uh, outside the home, but there has to be a concerted effort to have a functional, healthy home, spiritually healthy home. That takes uh, time and it takes intentionality. It doesn't just jump on you to have a healthy home. And that communication is critical. And if if you would do yourself a favor, carve out just 45 minutes and go back to the podcast or to the video and and listen and watch Sister Amanda Wallace teach that one more time. There are so many things that she said. They were striking. They were nuggets. They were important. If you heard Brother Scott Harple teach You'll, you'll have a reset of your thought about what happens in the marketplace and what our job really is. Our job is really not to make money. Our job is to expound the love of Jesus and to represent the kingdom. And in doing so, we, we broadcast something that's greater than just punching a time clock. Lacey Fisher was profound last week and I'm grateful for the things she said they opened up my eyes to to the various needs of the church in relationships my missionaries here from Ukraine let's welcome our missionary just saw you tonight we love you I apologize, I didn't see you, um, and so I'm a little shocked that you're sitting there, but do you, are you, are you okay? You wanna, you wanna preach a little bit here? What? I'll give this up here right now, man, if you, if you, if you're ready. And we love you and your family. Um, okay. Don't do that. Don't surprise me. Is there anybody here that is new that I should know? Any, are there any other missionaries in the world here? Brother Bernard, are you sitting somewhere in there? Okay. Um, so I'm grateful for that. It, 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 it showed me something that I need to learn and all of us can learn three lessons of importance. Now I, I, I'm not the anchor of this series. I'm certainly not the anchor because I believe that the first lesson was the most pivotal. The first lesson of the home was, was the, we started with the anchor. It's the home. It's inside the home. 
whatever happens in the home, it affects what happens here. Now, we all, we, we used to think something different. We used to think if you get this right, it'll, it, it'll take care of your home. It's not true. It's not true. And the strength of this body depends on the strength of our homes. However, um, my assignment tonight is about the church and it is, it pertains to the relationships inside of the church. If you have your book, um, if you're following along with me, I want to read the scripture and I want to read verse 14 also. John chapter 15 verse 13. These are the words of Jesus. Greater love hath no man than this. Than a man lay down his life for his friends. Now the next verse is a self-described um, love. Ye are my friends. Little do they know that he's going to lay down his life for them. If you do whatever I command you, you're my friends. So now we see he has said two things in verse 14. Greater love of no man than a man lay down his life for his friends. That um, He's talking about himself. Nobody has more love than him. But number two, there's a conditional aspect to this. You're only my friend if you do what I command you. That's verse 14. So the Bible is conditional. It has a lot of if-thens. If my people, then I will. So these are very uh, poignant statements that Jesus makes. Inside of the church is, is a myriad of relationships that we have to carefully manage. And I can make this lesson um, applicable to every church. And I, I suppose that if you're watching this and you belong to another assembly, then take whatever uh, applications that you can. But I'm really talking about New Life Fellowship. So I'm not trying to, to uh, speak to any other congregation, but just to ours. And I want to start by talking about the family recipe. I've talked about the family business, but I want to talk to you about the family recipe. Now, there are certain ways that that you can make food. And you can have two two people making the same dish and it tastes very different. Uh, for any of you who believe that um that fazolis or, or the olive garden is Italian, I cannot help you. If you say we're going to eat Italian, we're going to go to uh, Olive Garden, uh, there, there, there could be hope for you. Probably not. I can't. I have to help you. My brother did the research and found out that we are, majority of us, uh, uh, Scott, me and Dana, we're mostly Sicilian. The greatest majority of us Sicilian. We actually have a little African in us. Hey, I told you. We have, and so uh, 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 I'm much more African than Elizabeth Warren is Indian. So I'll just let you know right now. Just I'm just t- telling you what the truth is here. Um, my grandmother's group was all from Sicily. Costa Giovanni's, when she came to America, it was very difficult for her to spell 
or pronounced for the people Castro Giovanni. So she just changed the name to Castro. But when Castro came to Cuba, that whole family did not want to be identified with a Cuban Castro. So they went back to Castro Giovanni. Now, now in Sicily, the people are, were relatively poor. So they ate a lot of fish, didn't have a lot of meat, and had runny type sauce or thin sauce. But my grandfather was from Rome, and the Romans had meat. They had bogalese, they had, they had, they had beef, they had, they had, they had chicken, uh, they had sausage. And so the Romans had, the Roman Italians had, had thick sauce, and the Sicilians had thin sauce. Now, you may not think this is an issue to fight over, but then you'd be terribly wrong. This is, this is a fodder for divorce. Uh, it's, uh, you, things get thrown, guns get pulled. It's just business. Are you okay here? You might be in danger. You thought I was just tempted. Tem- tem- I'm not. Um, and so my grandfather was angry because my grandmother made the sauce that she had grown up on, but my grandfather was from Rome. He needed the thick sauce with the zizitsa, the bastwadaigya. Come on now. There's no amens here because you still think that Olive Garden is Italian. This is the problem with you. See, I'll get no help. The family recipe. This is the family recipe. So my mother grew up with the thick sauce. And in the thick sauce, sometimes you even take the pig's feet and you put it in the sauce and you cook it all night. And in the next day, after all night of cooking the pig's feet, you actually eat the pig's feet because there's meat in it. It's wonderful. It flavors the sauce. Amen. It's getting good right now. The family recipe has, there's different family recipes. And the family recipe, all, it, it, all, it all hinges on what ingredients are put in. We have a family recipe here at New Life. We can also call it the culture. Relationships and how we deal within the church is the culture. And so I'm just, as we go through this, I'm going to offer a few things about our culture and about this family recipe of new life so first i want to talk about the scripture from that comes from paul's writings to timothy his apprentice in second timothy three sixteen. now this is of course for everyone all scripture is given by inspiration of god it's profitable or it, it it's good for this is what it's meant for doctrine everyone say doctrine say reproof say correction say uh-oh yeah. For instruction in righteousness. Here's the reason. So people can be perfect, furnished in all good works. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished in all good works. So let me just tell you one of the aspects of the ingredients in the family recipe. This is how we operate here when it comes to the whole body and even to individuals in specific instances. We begin with instruction. Instruction is from the preaching and from the teaching. Rarely, rarely, is there rarely a service, a sermon that goes by where there's not instructional points given in the sermon or the lesson. 
Lessons are all filled with instruction. Sometimes there's inspiration uh, that breaks out. Most of the time there's inspiration or what we call divine inspiration in the sermon. But there's divine explanation in the lesson. We first start with instruction. But if instruction cannot be followed, then we go to the next level and that's called correction. This is found in Second Timothy chapter 3, correction. Now most people don't want correction. Sometimes correction comes individually. Sometimes it comes in a way that is palatable. It's a spoonful of sugar. It may not sound like a correction. Maybe it is. Maybe it does sound like a correction. But correction. It's a softer way um, than the third. And the third is rebuke. But all three of those, instruction, correction, and rebuke, are all found in the Scripture. And they're found in the early church. And they're found in all the church bodies. And if your family is healthy and functional, you will begin your conversations with your family with instruction or by instruction. Now, some people come from churches where the ministry, the pastor or leaders, they're angry. And they deal with rebuke first. And that's how they preach and that's how they teach. They're angry. They're not just defensive, but they're offensive. And... That's not how we operate. There are times when there's necessity for a rebuke, but hopefully those are far and few between. But what I found out in my many years of pastoring now is that instruction is not always received. And sometimes there has to be instru- and correction. But correction is, is not easy for people to take. In fact, most of the time people will stiff arm me if I need to give correction. Instruction is very good. It's where you need to land because that's what the Bible's for. The Bible is for the scriptures for profitable. It's profitable for reproof, for instruction, for incorrect, for correction. So we want instruction first. We want to heed instruction. It's easier to heed instruction than to, than to reap the benefits, which are not really benefits, but to reap the benefits of, of correction or even rebuke. Here's another part of the family recipe in the church. You have a hand. You have two hands. And in your hand, you cannot hold mercy and judgment at the same time. You can only hold one of them. All hands are only made to hold one at a time. So we hold mercy first. We are merciful for everybody. I've been merciful even to my own demise. I've been merciful even when it's ta- when I'm taken advantage of. But we're always going to deal in mercy first. Then we're going to deal with direction. Mercy is that element of forgiveness and forbearance. Because that's where most people live. And that's what we all need. Mercy. Are you ready for mercy? This is not in your notes. The gift is the same as the reward. Whatever you give in mercy. That's what you're going to receive. Little mercy given, little mercy received. If I see a person that has no mercy, no grace, no one's given them, it tells me something about them. Chances are you've been hypercritical, arrogant, prideful, hateful, and judgmental. Within the family recipe, there's direction. Direction is the guidance. It's milk. It's not meat. I think you need to head this way. I think you need to go that way. It's easy. Direction is easy. It's guidance. 
We guide. Here's the merciful word. God loves you. Now let me give you some direction. God brought you out. Don't go back the same way you came. God restores you. Don't live that life anymore. You can be brought out. You can be saved. You can be restored. Just don't go back to that life of sin. Here's your mercy. I know you're struggling with an addiction of some sort. Try your best. Get back up again. That's direction. That's mercy and direction. I live on mercy and direction. You're going to live on mercy and direction. That's milk, continually milk. People are going to walk into this church and they're going to have issues in their lives that they cannot get rid of. It's going to be hard for them to get rid of or they're going to struggle getting rid of them. God can release people. He can free people. But sometimes we hold things in our heart and it's hard to be free from them. A bitterness, a hurt, something in childhood, a marriage that went awry, a betrayal, so many things, rejection. And so these things Needs something else. It needs another element in the family recipe. It's called time. Everybody say time. Now some of you are going to get frustrated with other people because they're not progressing in a timely fashion or the way you think they should progress. But maybe they need more time than other people. I've, I've watched children grow up And not one child is as mature as the other one. I've heard 16-year-olds talk to each other. And I've I've seen 14-year-olds. I've seen 12-year-olds much more mature than 16-year-olds. Has anyone ever seen that? Have you ever seen an 18-year-old that's just super immature, but a 12-year-old is like beyond them? You're like, what What happened? There's six years difference, but the brain is almost fully developed in this 12-year-old and the 18-year-old is, what's wrong with them? You ever, anyone ever seen that? Have you ever seen a 10-year-old that's just so well put together and you're thinking, man, how old are you? I'm 10. You're 10? Maybe, yeah, but your brother is 20. And the 10-year-old says, I know, I don't know what happened to him. Can you imagine that people grow at different rates in time? Did you know that a child that's a small child of small stature gets more grace than a same age child that's bigger? Why? Why when you've got, you know, we've got three boys in here, Nolan, Graylin, and um, Wayland. I don't even know who they belong to. Their, their names do not end with L-A-N-D. Nolan, Graylin, Wallen, Waylon. It's not L-A-N-D, but I like to say Wayland, Noland. Because they're massive. They're like land masses. They're huge boys walking around. They're like small continents. They're five years old, six foot two. They're big And you will look at them and you will say, I did this with, 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 uh, with, uh, 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 Thatcher. Thatcher is a very large child. He's not only a young boy, but he was so big. And you think because they're this tall or my height, (laughs) my God, you seven, um, That they should be more advanced. And so people give the little guy more grace than the one that looks taller. Because you expect more of them. Aren't you driving yet? 
And so this is what happens. They need time to develop. Can you believe it or not that some people come to church? They come to God. They've been serving God 10 years. And we think in our mind, you should know this by now. No, they shouldn't because they're growing at a different rate than you are. Chances are you've been serving the Lord a long time. And you still have a lot of growth to do. So you may be growing in one area very well. And they may be growing very poorly in that same area. So time is what we give each other. Relationships in the church will be much better if you give people mercy. If you offer direction. And if you give them time. But if you don't. Then we're in trouble. Then there's frustration and anger and there's a lot of expectations that we make of one another that are unreasonable. And I need time. I've been pastoring now for 22 years plus and I'm still developing. You're helping me develop. I'm becoming the pastor that you're training me to be. And by the time I finally get it all together, I will die. How we see each other is the most basic foundation of how we treat each other. Honor. Think of these words. Honor, respect, love, and compassion. They are requirements for unity. They are required in the recipe for the family of God. If we are brothers and sisters in Christ, a family, then we have to consider one another and look at each other through the lens Of honor and respect, love and compassion. Your booklet has offered many tips. This is written in such a way where it allows us individually as families to review this. And it opens many doors for anyone in my position to teach. So I I start with the church and who is the church. It is the who. Here is your scriptures. And they need, these are scriptures that you have to understand. Because I often quote the household of faith or the commonwealth of faith. Here's Galatians 6.10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. So do good to everybody. But especially to them who are the household of faith. If there's anyone you should do good to, it's to the people that are in this building that call this house your house of worship too. Let me just tell you, the who, the church is is the people, not necessarily the building. But please don't get hung up on, on dismissing the building as if it doesn't matter. It does matter where we gather. But we understand that wherever we are, we are the church. But when we come in here, we can use that same term as the church. You are the body of Jesus Christ. This is the church. We are the household of faith. Here is your home. Here is the household of faith. Everyone around you is your brother and your sister in the Lord. We have fathers and mothers in here. We have children in here. And sometimes to be a child is not necessarily just age. It might just be understanding. Let's just go to letter B. Why? Why the church? Well, the scripture is pretty clear in Acts 11, and we'll read it together. When he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. 
It came to pass that a whole year, who, who are we talking about? We're talking about Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is going to help Paul. His name is Saul at the time. He's going to, they're going to assemble a whole year, assemble themselves with the church, taught much people. The disciples are called Christians first in Antioch. So here is, here is the, the, the idea around that. The reason for the church is for learning and training to understand the word. Even uh, Aquila and Priscilla, they understood when someone needed the word taught to them more perfectly. There is training in the church. The church exists, in fact, in your handout, it exists to fulfill the Great Commission. The church is not a place just to find out where someone's going to go to eat afterwards. The church is not a country club. It's built for the operation of the kingdom so that we can spread the gospel. Everybody said amen. This is why we exist. Now we have, we have benefits of the church like a choir. We have benefits of the church like, like particular, uh, times of fellowship and food. But really the church, the, the, the priority of the church is to be laborers in the field. Not just gathering in the building so that we can hear someone pontificate on what they think the scripture means. We have to be practitioners of our faith and not theorists of our faith. I often use that among pastors, but I think the greater moment is, is when we become practitioners. That means we're spreading the gospel everywhere we go. That could be a witness in a restaurant or a tabletop Bible study at your home or a Bible study of some nature in their home. That's your job. Your job, your calling, your commission is to reach someone with the gospel. If everyone, let me just say it this way. If we only had church when you came, how many times per year will we have church? If we only, if we only had, if, if we only had worship when you worshiped, how many times would we have worship? If we only had prayer when you prayed, how many, how many prayers, how much prayer would we have in the church? Um, it's critical for us to understand. We all hold the responsibility of the body. We are responsible. We have equal responsibility for this church to stand, for the body to stand. Why the church? Why? Why would we have a church? It's because we need to reach as many people before the Lord comes back as possible. I'll give you the two prong, my, my, my two prong thing. It's not necessarily in your notes, but, but there is something about reaching the lost and keeping our families. And we can do both. We can reach the lost and train and keep our families. Amen. And if we can do that successfully, then I think that we're gonna, we're gonna fulfill the Lord's desire. Um, I've been reading this and, 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 I've, I've waited till tonight to get to First Corinthians, and it's it's really First Corinthians is really incredible, and I, there's there's about four chapters I really want to cover, but I'm just going to talk a few issues that arise from time to time, and we'll just kind of go through it together. Relationships in the church, we have to treat them very carefully. But what we need most of all is respect and honor among one another. Love your neighbor. Love your church. Love your people. Love the people around you. Respect them and honor them. 
Show, show yourself honorable to one another. It's very important that we do this. This is the family recipe here. That we honor everyone in the church. And we give respect to everyone in the church. Amen. Now in this, in this day, we've lost a lot of integrity. And, and I wish that it was just, um, this was just an outlier of time, but it's not true. This happened in the early church too. Where there was business deals that went awry. And there were business deals that ended in tragedy. And it divided the church. It divided them. Because when money gets in the way, or money is present, uh, sometimes people lose their mind. And Paul is going to write about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to go to the earlier chapters, but let me just read a little bit to you. And this comes from a different version, but let me just read it to you for, for our conversation. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you know that the saints will judge the world? And if you're, if you're to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? Of course, these are fallen angels. How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint judges, even men of little account in the church, which just means, you know, find some people who are unbiased or even people who not just unbiased, but maybe they have no position. I say this to your shame. It's shameful. Is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute among believers, but instead one brother goes to the law against another. And this is in front of unbelievers. This is a tragedy. I'm going to tell you what it not. You don't even have to go to this extent, but if you post something on Facebook to demean your church, you're bringing the church issues before the unbeliever. And it's a shame. You're going to tell me I didn't sue anybody. No, but you slandered them and you brought them before the court of public opinion. I keep telling people this, and I don't know, I feel like a broken record. Just record me, and every third Sunday, just play this right here, right now. Facebook and Instagram and all the media stuff, it can be a help. It can. It can be beneficial. But it also could be the most detrimental thing that ever hit your life and ever hurt. It hurts the church. And you're going to say, well, I didn't go to the law. Yes, you did. You went to a jury of a thousand people, some of which already have angst against the body, and it gives them more ammunition against the church. See, I told you. I told you. When I was young, a preacher had glasses, and he would preach like this all the time, and I thought that was so cool. And when I was young, I thought, someday I'm going to get glasses. I'm just going to wave them around like I'm preaching like this. Now I actually need them. It's terrible. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you've completely defeated. You're completely defeated already. And now he says this. Listen, if there is a real trouble, here's the family recipe, ladies and gentlemen. Why not just be wronged? Just be cheated. It's better that you're wronged and you're cheated than you make a big stink about what happened to you. Well, you don't know what they did to me. Well, I'll tell you what they did to me. Well, guess what? If you're cheated, you finally get to have an opportunity to be like Jesus. No, they're not going to do that to me. 
Oh, really? Well, then you're no, no, nowhere near the Lord. Does the scripture bother you? It should. Because the scripture is a scalpel that cuts us. And it should cut us. And you need to confess. Yes, Lord, I need to straighten out my heart and my... You're going to have trouble. You're going to hire someone to do a job and they're not going to do a very good job. And you know what you're going to say to the lady that's cutting your hair? Thank you. It was wonderful. Here's an extra $5 tip. Because as we've learned, Brother Davis taught, taught us, the difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut is two weeks. I don't know what happened. Tammy and I left for a little honeymoon anniversary and the next thing I know we got a picture and Nico had shaved his head off all his hair I didn't even know he was dating Delilah it was gone just everything's gone we don't even have a Delilah in our church gone I said, we finally said why'd you do that Nico he said well easier that or I lose 50 bucks I think he made a bet with his friend I don't know I said, well, you don't even have 50 bucks. He said, that's right. See, I told you. <laughs> Instead, verse 8, you, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to who? Your brothers. Your brothers. If you should do anything good, do it to the people of the household of faith. Do good for one another. Look out for one another. Roman, are you in this room? Shout out, what is my number one request of my children? What is it? Pretty good. That's, that's kind of fancy. But what else did I say? That you would get along. Right? He was, he was unprepared. I want my kids to get along with one another. And I say to them, if you can't get along with each other, you'll have no friends. No one's coming over. If you can't love one another and get along with one another, I'm not letting you have someone else come over here. Here's what Billy Cole taught us years ago. He, he was a great man of God. And Billy Cole said, just as the heavenly father will not send new, I'm sorry, just as a doctor will not send newborn babies to an to a nursery that's full of infection and disease. No more will the Heavenly Father send new people to a church full of infection and disease. Could it be that the reason why churches have not had growth and revival numerically with Holy Ghost outpourings and all kinds of... is because they can't even function among themselves. And the Father is not willing to sacrifice new people to a church that will just devour them because nobody likes each other in the body. What happens inside this church matters to the spirit world. The devil and the spirit world knows if we are in unity or in conflict. We can't even hide that. So if there's any place that should have overwhelming love for one another, all men are going to know that you belong to me, my disciples, if... There's the condition. If you have love one, action two, action, it's an action to each other, one another. 
You have love one to another. That's how you know. Not because you speak in tongues. Not because of your holiness standards. Not because you give tithes and offerings. All of which are important. Not because you clap your hands. Not because you come to church. But if you have love one to another. Then the people know that you are. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ, aren't you? Don't you know you're on display wherever you go? My family is standing in Times Square a few years ago. We're standing in Times Square just looking around. And, and I hear from, from behind us, Brother Harpo. I'm on, I'm in the Mediterranean Sea with my family. Hello, Brother Harpo. What? <laughs> we are in Canada. We are in Canada. Just got done eating at a all-you-can-eat-like-meat place. I forget what it was, kind of, for carnivores. It says for carnivores only. It's a Brazilian steakhouse, that's what it was. Carnivores only. You just, you just eat all the meat. You just come around, you, you know, you have a little, you have a little tag. It goes green or red. Green means just keep feeding me the meat. Red means stop, I'm, I'm, my, my stomach hurts. Just we just ate all the meat in Canada. Just got done eating the meat in Canada. Walked out, and then there's there's some people from Arkansas. Sister Tammy. No, you got the wrong people. We don't know who that is. We don't know. People are everywhere. They're watching you. How you treat one another. How do we win our city if you don't even like people that you're sitting next to? You ought to get over that. You ought to fall in love with them. And in fact, if here, Pastor. If you have ought against one another, you put everything down on that, we're going to get to it. You put everything down on that altar and you go make it right. In fact, the Bible says if they have ought against you, not if you have ought against them. If you have ought against them, don't even come up here and put anything down. Make it right with your brother and your sister. Shame. It's a shame we would, we would sue one another or expose our differences that we have in the church with the world. Amen. I'd much rather have done the first lesson. Here's the next thing. Marriage and the sanctity of it. Marriage and the sanctity. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife. The word cleave is the same. It's, it's the only word in the English language which is its own antonym. Cleave means to cling to and also means to separate. It's the only word. They, they twain shall be one flesh. This is, this is why marriage. It's one flesh. Wherefore, there are no more two people, but they're one flesh. And God put that together so don't interrupt it. Don't mess with that. Don't mess with someone else's marriage here. Be very careful. God put them together. Don't mess with that. You know how to destroy this church real quick or any church? Let there be adultery take out, take place in the church and you'll ruin things real quick. Amen. <laughs> okay. We just got done with marriage retreat. Should I say a couple things I said in marriage retreat? No, you have to pay $250 to find out. <laughs> Sorry, you just you pay to play. Go next year, you'll find out some good stuff. Otherwise, be very careful. You can make a lot of mistakes this year because you weren't, you weren't there. Here's my next thing. Dating, courtships, and the division of families. I don't know if it's up here on the screen or not, but I'm just kind of going through... Uh, these aspects of the church and relationships. It's okay to, to date in court. It's okay. It's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's pretty good. But the trouble comes when 
then it doesn't work out. And all of a sudden, we are in love, but next week, the kids don't like each other. Now, I encourage parents to discourage your children from dating in their teenage years. I don't understand anybody who encourages their their daughter or their son to have a boyfriend and girlfriend when they're 14. I've told Allie she could start about four or five years from now. She can start. 23 is a good time. I, I, I don't know if the, I don't know if we'll make it, but we discourage all. We discourage as much as we can. We discourage that. I've told Reagan, you don't have enough money for a girlfriend. I told I told Allie, you, you don't have enough time for a boyfriend. I told Nico, you don't even have enough hair for anybody. It's a problem that happened in the church. Here is, this is the real thing that's happened in the church. People have left churches all around America because the kids liked each other and then they broke up and then they hated each other. And then the families got involved. And when the families got involved, then they took up the offense for their kids and they said, it wasn't my daughter's fault. It wasn't my son's fault. And then we have divisions in the church. Let, let's let's go to First Corinthians. If you if you have your Bibles, let's talk a little bit about First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter one verse ten. This is from the New King James Bible. I don't. I didn't preface. I mean, I didn't prepare you for this, some folks. But I'm reading. Paul writes from the New King James First First Corinthians chapter one, verse ten. This is called sectarianism is sin. This is sin. So to be divided. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. But he's got some problems. I'm concerned by those in Chloe's household that there are contentions. Now you're, you've got all these contentions. Watch it. Chapter three, verse one. Not only is it sinful, it's carnal. And I, brethren, 1 Corinthians 3, 1, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal. As to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk. I didn't even give you solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And you're still not able to receive it. Because you're carnal. How would you like Paul as a preacher? You all think Paul's so great. You couldn't handle Paul. I'm going to tell you right now, most, most churches couldn't handle Paul. You like to read about him. He's so wonderful. You quote him. You wouldn't want him as your pastor. I mean, I don't know, like verbally, he'd hit you over the head every time you came to church. You're carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, you're carnal. You're behaving like mere men, carnal people. Mm-hmm. Carnal. Because there's divisions and there's strife. There ought be no divisions Can I just speak to the body here and at home and wherever? We have some place to go and we've got to get there. We are on a mad dash to reach our city and our county and our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're never going to get there as long as there are divisions in the church. So if you have any division, put it down, bury it, swallow it, and be cheated and be wrong. But love one another and overlook everyone's faults. Give mercy out, and I promise you, you'll be so happy because mercy will come back to you. It'll flow back into your life. Amen. (laughs) 
Let me, let's, let's go to chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, the stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in the stewards that one be found faithful. So that we're talking about even financially. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of the darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come before, come from God. Let the Lord, the Lord's going to do this. He'll, he'll tell us whether we did well or not. Verse 14, I don't write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I've begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. There's a bold statement. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know. Not the word of those who puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod, or in love, or a spirit of gentleness? What did I tell? What did I say to everyone? You're creating the pastor that you want. How do you want me to respond? In love, with a rod, the spirit of gentleness? Believe it or not, congregations all around America, they create their pastor. They designed them. You mold the leaders. Amen. <laughs> now now we're going to get to some real touchy stuff. It is actually reported, chapter 5, that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. I'll skip a little bit. You're puffed up, verse 2. You haven't cried. I've seen this happen. Now watch this. He says in verse 6, your glorying is not good. Little leaven leavens the whole lump. You didn't deal with it. I, I, I wrote a few things about relationships. What a church tolerates, ladies and gentlemen, is more important than what a church preaches. If we tolerate wicked and terrible spirits and bad attitudes, it'll drown out all the doctrines. They're in the Bible. It's not just what is preached here. It's what's tolerated by the people. We're not going to tolerate that. I go back to this dating and courtships and, 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 and division of families. Here's the, here's the real problem. When young people, young adults engage in sexual activity, it destroys the foundation of the marriage. And if they separate they now know each other and it's very difficult for them to stay in the same church once they've already had sexual relationships with someone in the church and they get married to someone else. Very difficult. In fact, it's almost impossible because the wife now has to know that that person over there had a relationship with her husband before they were married. And you can tell me that it's all under the blood. It might be under the blood, but it's not under the table. It's on the table. And so then you have all kinds of divisions. Now I say this to warn you. I say this because if you don't maintain your own discipline in your life, you'll destroy your relationship with the church. 
Let me talk about the next one. Everyone say fellowship. Let me talk to you about the blessings and the dangers of fellowship. There's a blessing in having fellowship. Good friends, best friends. But there are some things you don't tell your best friends. Because fellowship can become dangerous when fellowship, when you think fellowship means you let down your boundaries or your guards to your personal lives or to your marriage. Not everything needs to be told. And that leads me to the next one. It's about information and prayer needs. There are boundaries. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill a sacred cow here and not everyone's gonna be happy. Are you ready? Oh goodness. Hope you come back next week. You don't need to pray about everything. I'll explain. You don't need to pray about everything. You can't handle all the needs that are represented. And you don't need to know. Pastor, just tell me what's going on. I'm just here to pray. No, you don't need to pray. Pray about what you do know. Because if you want the details of what they're going through or what they've done, it will stain your brain. Well, I'm just going to, I'm just here to pray. You're telling me not to pray? Yes, I'm telling you, you don't need to know everything about everyone's lives. So stop asking. People go through horrible situations and you don't need to know. But you do want to know. And you want to talk about it and you're asking questions about it. And you'll cloak it in, well, I just want to pray. No, you don't. And if you say you want to pray, I'm telling you, you don't need to pray about it. There's other people praying about it. If it doesn't affect you and it's not part of your family and not part of your circle, then you don't need to know. There's a lot of things you can pray about without knowing the nitty gritty, the trouble and the conflict. Watch, Pastor. If a marriage is on the rocks, you don't really know them, but they're in the church and they're having huge problems. You, If you know that much, that's all you need to know. But if you don't know it, you don't need to know the details of their of their. Horrible situation. But that's not always the case. Because the sacred cow is, well, we got to pray, don't we? Yes, pray for everyone. There was, now this, this is, when I grew up, this is what people do. This is what people did. If you have a special unspoken request, raise your hand. Well, then people raise their hands. I have a special unspoken request. Now, I don't know if that was always good. Because, you know, you don't even really know. We just, I raise my hand. I don't know. I was eight. Everyone else raised their hand. Ten, eleven. What's your need? I'm not sure. It's unspoken. <laughs> Would you like to talk about it? No, it's unspoken. People share things, you know. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell. My brother told me this the other day. He said, he said, uh, he said, Someone told me a secret and told me not to repeat it. So listen closely the first time. (laughs) There's enough trouble in your own family for you to spend an hour a day in prayer. And I, I know I can't even handle all of it. So sometimes Sister Tammy... We'll hear something and she'll go to prayer about it. And she'll just say, there's an issue, I'm praying about it. 
I don't even question. I don't pry. I don't probe. I don't walk around behind her and say, will you give me a hint? Would you give me a hint? I never say that. Absolutely not. Because if she says those words, they're like, this is the blessing of God. She just gave me a gift. I don't need to know. You handle it, honey. Here you go. Boom. In fact, I just make the declaration. You got a really horrible situation. Tell her. We had to go through this. We had to go through this. She would tell me horrible things right before we went to bed. She's asleep. She wakes up. Oh, by the way, someone's house caught on fire. Good night, honey. And now my eyes are wide open and I'm just, what happened? What, what happened? Yes, yes, it caught on fire. Go to sleep now. Don't tell me, don't, don't tell me that before I go to sleep. Then no wonder why I can't sleep all night. She tells me all the horrible things right about 1130. Then. No, what I'm saying to you is that there is enough trouble for your day. And the health of the body is that we would pray for ourselves and for our families. I'm, I'm moving. Personal convictions, ladies and gentlemen, should be everywhere around the church. And you should honor everyone's personal convictions. Which means that if you have a personal conviction about only watching a G-rated movie with your children, you maintain that. And if your kids go to another house or you as a couple go to someone else's house and they're not, they don't have that conviction, you honor whoever has the strongest conviction. The problem is couples in the church introduce things to other families that they ought never introduce because you don't, you're not honoring someone else and you're not inquiring of them. It, it should be that if you're bringing someone over for dinner, you should say to them, do you like bell peppers? Why would you ask someone to come over and feed them bell peppers? Don't you know I hate bell peppers? <laughs> I can't. Mom made bell pepper. I love all the vegetables. I just don't like bell peppers. But if you're asked, hey, do you, do you all like, you know, do, do you eat fish? You know, the kids start crying. We're going to eat Nemo. What? Why? You don't know. Accommodate people and find out. But you don't have someone over and then introduce things that the other family has tried their best to hold from their children. And then we got conflict in the church because inside the church, there's a, there's pitfalls everywhere. And we've got to love, honor, and respect one another. Let me just put this out for everybody. You should accept inclusivity. You don't like this either. This is also a sacred cow. Accept inclusivity, but reject exclusivity. That means that there are some people in this church that abhor shooting deer while others love it. Not all of you are going to be invited on the fishing trip. Get over it. There are inclusive people here. There are people who like to sew, camp, hike. Some people like to do things. It's okay. Try to find someone who likes the same things you like. Some people love Olive Garden. Find all of your Olive Garden people and go to the pseudo-Italian restaurant. And eat the breadsticks and say, isn't this wonderful Italian breadsticks? (laughs) 
It's a lie. I can buy the whole package at Sam's. It's okay to be inclusive. It's all right. Some of you wear different types of clothes. It's all right. You don't shop at the same place. But don't be exclusive. Don't shut anyone out. Make accommodations for everybody. Because this is the household of faith. The main thing is not what you eat. The main thing is not where you go. The main thing is that we are a kingdom of God in this house. And we are exercising the commission of the great God Almighty to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus. That's what our purpose is. And so I say this to you because I think that we have... We have a lot of room to grow in this matter. We've got, we've got much room to grow. And I, and I'm, I'm, I know I'm running out of time. So I want to get back to this, this thought of, of what we are. We are. Everyone say we are. We are one another. That's who we are. We're together. Here's in your manual, page 74. Anyone who has defined Christ. This is Martin Luther. Must first find the church. How could anyone know where Christ is and what faith is in him unless he knew where his believers are? This is a community of God. It's the community of God. Look at your handout. Love one another. John 13, 35. Love one another. Now, the next one. Be hospitable to one another. 1 Peter 4, 9. Entreat one another. Esteem one another. Philippians 2, 3. That means lift each other up. You're not hurting yourself by complimenting someone and saying, look how great they are. Anyone who's lifted up in the church, you know what people do? Immediately they become jealous and covetous and say, well, why not me? Why not me? What did I not do? Haven't I been here all this time? Mm-hmm. Are you okay with that? Are you okay if someone is elevated beyond you? No? Are you okay if someone is, is, is given, is given, uh, accolade? Is that alright? Is that okay? Is, is it okay if, if someone advances a little bit beyond you? Are you mad about that? You ought, let me just say, you ought to be thankful that you're in the body. Doesn't matter what position you have. And positions change from time to time. My father was a pastor. That was his, that was his whole identity. And then he said he was a bishop. Now he's back to just where he started. Bill. Now, how did I know that? Because I called him and listened to his answer machine. Started out as Bill. Went from Bill to the country parson. From the country parson, he went to pastor. From pastor, he went to bishop. These are all titles he gave to himself. <laughs> made signs about it. He did. He made a sign. Always had a parking place. Whatever, whatever he felt like he needed to have, he put it on there. Bishop Harper. He wanted to make a sign and put it over here. And I said, no, you can't, you can't make a sign over here. <laughs> now he's back to being Rosalie's husband. He just actually lost his identity. This is good. That's kind of where he started. Because she was the prom queen and he was just a little scrawny 135 pound wrestler and didn't, didn't have a prayer in the world. But somehow he caught her and, and it was Rosalie's boyfriend, Rosalie's husband. Then he became Bill. Then he became a country parson, pastor, bishop. Now he's Bill. Now he's just back to driving mom around. That's what he's doing. He's 78 years old. He just drives around. She sells her stuff. She's got the license plate. It's not even his car. It's mom's car. It's a Camry. It's a red Camry. The license plate is her, is her desire to help God out. It says God's are in just in case he gets sick. Is it okay? Is it all right? If someone gets, gets a little ahead, 
Is it okay? I preached a whole revival one time. And, and the last night was a blowout and the choir had really practiced and they didn't get to sing. Pastor just said, just take it. Come on, brother Jeffrey, just take it. I took it. We had Holy Ghost. People got the Holy Ghost. But one of the people that was, that was, had the solo in the choir didn't get to sing that night and she sulked the rest of the time with her arms folded because she didn't get to sing. People were being delivered and healed, but she did not get her, she did not get her moment to develop her Mariah Carey tricks. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but just laugh a little bit. Just laugh. This is a funny joke. You don't even know who that is and what's the trick. It's okay. Comfort one another. Ladies and gentlemen, when there is tragedy, you don't need to know the whole story. Just comfort them with your prayer, with a hug. Comfort one another. People are hurting. They come to church and they're hurting. And they might have a smile on their face, but that does not mean that they're okay. They'll even tell you they're okay. But if you feel like they're not, just comfort them and just tell them one another, I love you, I I pray for you, that God would bless you. If you ever, 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 ever need comfort, then you seek out Brother Gordon's wife. That man's incredibly comforted. Because ain't nobody like Sister Gordon that can comfort you. She's got the spirit on her of comfort. Of security. That's one of the mothers of the church. Thank you, Mother Gordon, for comforting so many people. It's the operation of the body of Christ in this house. And then finally, we exhort one another. We exhort. We teach one another. It's okay. Let people teach. It's all right. It'd be okay if someone taught a whole lesson and you only got one thing out of it. That one thing might save your life. Finally, number three is unity. Number three is unity. And oh, how to achieve it. How to achieve unity. A unity To achieve unity, it takes less opinions, less talking, more listening. It takes less pride and more humility to achieve unity. Unity means that you understand authority like any regiment and any army. Unity means that we will not be, I'm going quickly, we will not be single-issue people. Single-issue people are people who can only think about one thing. Well, if we just had a church sign, we would have revival. Let's get the sanctuary done and someday we'll get a church sign. I'm not promising you anything. Someday. But don't get hung up on one thing. Don't be single issue. There's a lot of people that approach me and all they can think about is one thing. Wait, we have children. We need to minister to the children. We need to have a music. We need to have the choir. We need to have altar. We need to have shouting, worship, and teaching. We need to have small groups. We need to have Bible classes. We need to have life classes. We need to have the the knowledge project. All of it adds together. We need to have outreach and inreach. We have love here and love there. Forgiveness here and forgiveness there. It all, it, there's so much involved in it. It's not just one thing. It's not your idea. It might be yours, but it's everyone else's too. Amen. Unity. If we have unity in the body, we can do anything in the body. Unity is the most powerful tool that any organization, any church can ever employ. Unity. Amen. And all the people say amen. Okay, I have so much more, but we can wait for another time. And you'll have to answer all the questions on the quiz that you'll receive later. Please stand with me, if you will. And, and 
and let's pray. Now, Lord, I commit what has been spoken into your care. And if there be things that you need to explain, let it be done through your spirit. And if there be situations that we need to change in our own hearts and minds and lives, Lord, convict us and help us to change those so that this church can be the household of faith, the commonwealth of the believers. Let the church house, the things that happen in here, glorify your name. Let the people that gather here be put into action so that we can win the lost, reach the people. Help us to have a heart for sacrifice and giving. Help us to have a heart for worship and praise and a love for one another. And I pray that in Jesus' name. And all the people said amen.